Well, welcome and good morning again. If you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope that you brought one with you, open up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. And the last several weeks, we've been looking at this mission statement that you'll see on the screen that you just saw in that video. We've been talking about what this means for us as a church, that we would be on mission for Christ, on His mission. And we turned page after page of God's Word, and we saw that this is not ultimately Wes Cabarrus's mission. This isn't ultimately why Wes Cabarrus exists, but why everything exists. And we were created for this. And so we desire this, we pray to this end that we as a church would exist to glorify God by making more and better disciples from neighborhoods to nations. And I would encourage you, if you're a church member, to memorize this, to know this, to be able to speak into this. And it was encouraging for me even this week seeing people post it online that you're working on memorizing this because this can't be something we just see a statement and we move on. We find it in God's word and we live it out in our lives. As a church family, we strive after this. And if you are new and you're, you're sitting here wondering, is this the church for me? This statement's going to tell you if this is the church for you or not. Because this statement tells you why we do everything that we do. Everything that we do is centered around glorifying God by making more better disciples from neighborhoods to nations. Now, it's one thing to, to know a statement and to memorize a statement, but if we have a great vision statement and it's clear, but God is not with us, what we just sang earlier, God is not moving, then we, we labor in vain. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And church family, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to work in vain. I don't want to labor in vain. I've done that in my life through different house projects and different things like that. I don't want to pour my life out in vain. We need God to build the house. And so this week and the next few weeks, we're going to look at the power of prayer in this vision statement happening. We have to pray and plead, God, would you move? Would you be with us? Would your presence strengthen us, give us wisdom, boldness, and opportunities to live these things out? God, help us to have wisdom to know what to say no to and what to say yes to. And we need to start with prayer. And so as I thought about that this week, I thought specifically about this prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Because this is what we call the Lord's Prayer, right? And if we're going to challenge us to pray, who better to model our prayer life after than Jesus, right? And in the Gospel of Luke, it tells us that the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. How do we pray? How do you want us to pray? And this is what Jesus tells them, starting in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you are great in love. You are great, and yet you care for the small. 
Lord, you are holy and set apart, and, let, and yet you listen to the prayers of the sinful. Lord, today we pray that you would teach us how to pray. We ask it, God. Create in us a heart that desires to pray. And even give us the heart that's disciplined to pray. And Lord, we need your help now. And we need your help this week. So listen to our prayers now. And if you would be so bold, I would challenge you in this moment of silence just to pray that God would speak to you today and help you to pray. Pray now. whether you're online or in the room, pray for me that in this few minutes I have with you that I would be helpful to you in teaching you God's word. Father, hear our prayers today to the glory of your name. Amen. Well, this past week I was looking at just all these different um, researchers that have studied prayer. And it's amazing. I mean, tons of studies have been done on this. Uh, and not from Christian organizations, from secular institutes. And it's been amazing what they have found through this. Because prayer and communication with God has enormous, enormous physiological benefits for you and for me. Enormous. NYU did a study with alcoholics and found that when they prayed, it helped them to manage these emotional cravings that they had. They, they, they did research after research, and they found that. Harvard, in their med, med school, they found this. In a study of people that, over long periods of time, people that prayed, they found had lower heart rates and decreased blood pressure and peace of mind. They found that people who prayed and had interaction with God throughout their day were 40% more likely to have a lower blood pressure than those who didn't. It's fascinating. The University of Pennsylvania did this one as well. They studied Franciscan nuns and found that they had an increased dopium level, which means they found that these people who prayed and spent time before the Lord were happier than the average American. Which is interesting, what, what they're finding out is, is they take humanity and they put them in a laboratory and they research and study how prayer impacts their life. What they're finding is all these positive things are, are happening in their lives. All these benefits, these physiological benefits are happening to these people. And it's interesting because what they're saying is, hey, we have discovered a correlation. These, these doctors and scientists, we've, we've discovered this correlation between prayer and healthy living. No, you didn't. You're just discovering what's already been there. I mean, thousands of years ago, God's like, hey, you, you need this. You need a relationship with me. This relationship is what gives you your focus, your identity, your patience, your peace. God cares about that proximity, and that proximity to him is what helps us to be happier and healthy. The sad thing about it is Pew Research, um, just a couple years ago, they, they interviewed thousands of people. And they found that 62% of the people they interviewed said that they never prayed. 
They're never afraid. And it's interesting that anxiety is increasing, depression is increasing, while prayer and the presence of God is decreasing in our lives. We need it. We need him. We need his presence. This is what we were created for. And yet, I'm willing to bet that when I said today that we're going to talk about prayer, I'm willing to bet that very few of you are like, yes, prayer. It's exactly what I was hoping we were talking about today. Honestly, most of us, when, we, when I mentioned, hey, we're going to talk about prayer, if there were a shame meter in your mind, it just was going off. Like, bzz, 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 shame and guilt all over me. Like, oh, man, I know I should pray more. Oh, man, but I just don't pray enough. I know I should. And what happens is we allow this shame and this guilt to keep us from praying. You see, the Holy Spirit is not stirring in us conviction in order to keep us from God. He wants us to come into his presence. And it starts in this, this passage that I just read. The kind of preface to this whole prayer starts with this personal, intimate title of our Father. Our Father. And this is kind of the preface to the whole prayer that we're going to look through. Because if you don't get this part of it then you're not going to cling to the rest of it. If you don't understand this piece of that God is a loving and strong and good father, then none of the, none of the rest of this is going to make sense for you and me. None of the rest of it is going to draw our hearts to do this. Instead, we'll continue to live in our shame and our guilt. And when you read this, this passage, when you look through Matthew 6, we hear, yes, he's in heaven. He's a heavenly father. Yes, he's heavenly. We hear that he's holy. That's what it means to be hallowed. Hallowed be your name. That God is set apart from sin. He is high above us. We hear that he's king. That his kingdom would come and his will would be done. And we're like, yes, that all makes sense. But where Jesus starts is our father. Our father. You see, there's something that God wants you and I to see about fatherhood. That tells us something about him. And I want you to realize this, I want all of us to realize this, that God created fatherhood to show who he was. He is the standard of fatherhood. And what I mean by that is God didn't wait thousands of years after creation and say, you know what, you know what I'm like? I'm kind of like a father. Yeah, 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 that's what I'm like. I'm like a father. I'm strong and loving. So think of me like a father. That's not what God did. Before everything was even created, God says, you know what I'm like? I'm a father. And so I'm going to create fatherhood to, to put on display who I am. He did the same thing with marriage. He made marriage at the very beginning. Not that later he'd invent it and say, hey, that's kind of how I love my church. No, he created it at the very beginning to say, this is how I love. This is how I care. This is who I am. And so here when he starts with our father, I don't know what your background is in family life. I don't know if you come from a, a broken home or you have a good father or a bad father. I, I don't know. But don't allow your picture of fatherhood shape who God is. Instead, I would even challenge every dad in this room, let God the Father shape who you are as a father. You see, for, for us, there's so many different ranges of what we can think about father. 
For some of us, because of who our Father is, we don't pray to God. Some of us look at God and we think, God, you're so big and you're so busy doing so many different things, you don't have time for me and you don't have time for my prayers. You just, you just don't, God. And so we don't pray. We try to shoulder all of our burdens. And we miss the truth that God says, no, 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 no. Cast all of your cares on me. All of them. Because I care for you. We have to get out of our mind this humorous image that you're going to see on this video. But this humorous image that our God is too big and too busy to be a good father who listens to us. So look at this video just real quick and give you a laugh about this dad and how he treats his kids in this moment. Scandals happen all the time. The question is, how do democracies respond to those scandals? Uh, and what will it mean for, uh, for the wider region? I think one of your children has just walked in. I mean, shift, shifting, shifting sands in the region, do you think relations with the North may change? Um, I would be surprised if they do. The, um, pardon me. Pardon me. My apologies. <laughs> For the region. My apologies. North, uh, sorry. Um, North Korea, North, uh, South Korea's policy choices on North Korea have been severely limited in the last six months to a year. My favorite part of this video is if you if you watch it back, he, he his kids come up, he actually stiff arms his kids. Did y'all see that? His kids come up and he's just like not even looking, just pushing, pushing his kids away. He's like, nope, 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 I'm too busy, right? I'm too important, I'm doing work, I don't have time for my kids. And, and that's a funny video, but in our heart of hearts, a lot of times that's how we view God. God, you're, you're just, you're too busy, you're too far off, you're too hallowed, you don't have time for me. You just keep pushing me away and pushing my prayers away. And, and that's not who our God is. It's not who our God is. And maybe you don't feel like God is too busy, but maybe you just feel like he's too distant. And it's amazing to me, but some of the most influential atheists in our time have in common that their dad was either absent, abused, or died at a young age. Did you know that? Karl Marx, Friedrich Nietzsche, Sigmund Freud, and um, Albert Camus. Every one of these guys shaped the atheistic landscape for us. And all of them had in common that truth. That they looked at their dad and they're like, mm, if God is anything like that, I don't want anything to do with him. And Jesus, he starts this prayer, wants us to see our God isn't stiff-arming us and pushing us away. Our God's not distant. He is a loving and good God. And I think there's something that we need to see about fatherhood that shapes the way we pray. Because we look at God as a father, we need to understand that he's strong like a father is strong. He's strong enough to care for you, and yet he's loving enough to do something about it. He's strong enough to hear your prayers and do something with it, but he's loving enough to actually stoop down and say, yes, I care. I care about your heavy heart. The passage we just read earlier, he cares about our wounded hearts. He wants to bind them up. He wants to strengthen them. And yet he knows every star in the sky. This is our God. And Jesus says, pray to him as Father. And that comfort of knowing that he's strong and he's loving should give us confidence when we pray. 
Because it allows us to know, okay, if you are our dad, if you are our father, we can come to you at any point. You're a good father. You see, my, my kids know that they can come to dad's office at any time. And when they walk in, they don't have to check in at the front desk. They don't have to get a badge. They don't have to sign in. They can walk on down there. And they don't have to knock on my door. They can walk right into my office. Why? Because they're my kids. And in the middle of the night, if there's a storm and they're scared, they don't have to wonder, can I go see dad or can I call out to dad and know that dad will be there. Why? Because I'm their dad. They don't cry out in the middle of the night. I'm like, <clears throat> keep it down. It's 12.01. I was on dad duty till 12 and 12.01. We're done. You handle it yourself. Like, no. They know that because I'm their father and I love them, they can come to me at any point, at any time. And the same is true for you. Anytime. And at any point, you can come to God and pray to him because he's a good and perfect father. Now, before we unpack and kind of plunge into the rest of this passage, there's something really important that I want you to hear and know. And I say it from, from all love. Um, but you need to understand that a lot of people will say, well, we're all God's children. We're all God's children. But that's just not true according to God's word. It's not. Now, we're all created in the image of God, absolutely. And being created in the image of God, no matter what race or religion you are or wherever you live, it doesn't matter. You have dignity and respect because you're created in the image of God. Every one of us are created in the image of God. But that doesn't mean that you're a child of God. God's word actually tells us that we are children of wrath because of our sin. That's who we are. And there's only one way that you get to become a child of God. And it's through adoption. It's through adoption. In the Gospel of John, you'll see this verse on the screen. But chapter 1, verse 12, it says this. But to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What that's telling us is that Jesus has already written up the adoption papers. He's already signed the adoption papers with his blood on the cross. So that anyone, says all who would receive him, who would believe in him, could become a child of God. And so, no, we're not born as children of God, but all of us have the, the, the opportunity, even today, placed before us, that we could be adopted into the family of God and be a child of God and pray to God as our Father because of what Jesus has done. We need to understand that truth that to become a child of God, we have to make a choice to follow and love Christ. We have to. And it means we confess our sins. We receive him like John 1 talks about him. We believe in him because he's the king of all creation. And our sins are deserving of punishment. But Christ, Christ took that punishment on my behalf and on your behalf. So that we today in this room or online could pray to God our Father. And he would forgive us of all of our sins and save us. And we could walk out of this room or we could finish this time today and know that I am a child of God 
and I pray to my Father who is in heaven. Who's in heaven? This is who our God is. And I want us as a church to pray to him as Father. And then the rest of this passage, I want us to see what we should be praying to him. Because it's one thing to say, okay, God, you're our Father. I want to pray. I get it. That's great. But what, God, do you want me to pray? How do you pray? Because I remember when I first started praying, I would get like a minute into my prayers and I'd be like, and God, give us world peace. And I'm done. Like, I don't know what else to pray for, God. Like, let all the babies of the world be happy. I don't know. Amen. And so we can pray and say, I want to pray more. But then you pray for 30 seconds and you're like, oh, I'm tapped out. Like, I have, I have no idea what else to pray. But this passage is going to tell us several things that we should pray for. And it's great to memorize this, this passage. It's great to memorize this prayer. But don't vainly repeat this prayer over and over like it's some magical prayer that we sprinkle over our lives or our church and then God fixes everything. Just before this, Jesus just said in verse 7 of the same chapter, when you pray, don't heap up your empty phrases thinking about your many words that God's going to hear you. Don't do that. But use this prayer as a model prayer for you to pray over our church and over our lives. And so there's several things, three specifically, that I want to challenge you to pray for our church from this prayer. And I've laid this, these three things out to our staff, and our staff's been praying over them for the last several months. I laid it out to our deacons. I've laid it out to our administrative team. And we've been praying over these three things. And so today, each one of these points is framed as a prayer point for you to write down and over 2021 pray these things as a corporate body together and as a church running together in unity, praying, God, would you move in these ways that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here at West Cabarrus as it is in heaven. So the first thing I want us to see from the prayer of Jesus here is that, God, would you propel us forward on your mission? Propel, propel us forward on your mission. He starts with our Father in heaven and he moves to hallowed be your name, holy be your name, set apart is your name. This is what we've been talking about with living life on mission. To hallowed something, to holy something means to honor it, to set it apart, to live in such a way that our lives would look different from the world. That people would look at us and say, man, the way that you speak honors God. They might not use those words. But they would think that, right? Or we sit here like the way that you work and the way that you serve others, that honors God. The way that you live in your marriage and care about other people and give generously, all these things show people in the world that you honor God, that you'd hallowed his name. And the same is true for us as a church. We're thinking these things. Why are we doing small groups? Why do we have a student ministry and a kids ministry? Because we want to holy God's name. We want to honor God's name. We want to respect him. And church family, we have to ask that question. How am I hallowing God's name? How am I honoring him? And pray God help us to do this. That's the propulsion side of things. God propel us forward. Help us. Because we're not doing that the way we should. Not in the fullness of the extent of we want to honor you. God, help us to do that. And as we honor and hallowed God's name, what we'll see is that we'll see his kingdom come and his will be done. And we pray that. 
God, would you please, please, would you let your kingdom come and your will be done in my life as it is in heaven, in, mar in my marriage as it is in heaven, in my family, in my school. If you're a college student or high school or middle school student, would you pray that over your school? God, would your kingdom come and your will be done in my school? Would you pray that over your workplace? God, would your kingdom come and your will be done in my school, in my workplace, as it is in heaven? And you sit here and think, God, there's no way that's going to happen. If it's up to you alone, you're right. But that's why we pray, God, propel us forward. Help us to see you're in control. You are the king. This is your kingdom. And help us to move forward with that, that confidence in you. God, that your kingdom would come. And when we see God's kingdom come, what we're going to see is when we pray that and we seek that, what we're doing is we're actually praying against injustice. We're praying against hunger and disease. We're, we're praying against violence. We're praying for peace when we pray, God, let your kingdom come. We're praying that people would know the king. We prayed about that last week, right? Those that don't know him around the world. We talked about Yemen, that there's only 30 people in this whole nation that know Jesus, and we pray for them. And we pray that God and his name would be hallowed there. So yes, we, we pray to this end. God, propel us forward, push us forward, guide us forward for you, that your name would be holy, that you would be glorified. And I love at the end of verse 10, it says that all of this, that your name would be hallowed, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Think about that for a minute. When we say those words, let your kingdom come and let your, your will, not mine, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what that means? You know what that means? Think about heaven for a moment. When God speaks, let's just say he looks at the angel Michael. He says, hey, Michael, I want you to take this message to Daniel. My prophet, I want you to go. Michael's response is not, okay, God, thank you for that. Let me come over here. I want to pray about it for a little bit. I want to talk to my good buddy Gabriel about this. Gabriel, should I do this? Should we, I don't know if I should. Yeah, okay, I feel, okay, let me come back to you, God. Okay, God, I've, I've, I've thought about what you said, and I really feel like this is where you lead me. No, that's not how it works. In heaven, when, when God says, I want this done, it is done. And when he says here, pray like that, not your will, but, but not my will, but your will be done, that's what he's saying. That we don't sit here and we waffle, God, do we want to do what your word says? Do we really want to obey you? Eh, maybe, maybe not. No, we do it. We're obedient to what God has called us to do. And that, that, that applies to us as a church, that applies to us as individuals, that we have to be pursuing God and saying, God, your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And we pray to this end, God, we want you to launch us forward. We want you to use us as a church and use us as individuals. Propel us forward on you and trusting in you that your mission would come, that your will would be done. So we pray that. Please pray that. Please pray with me. God, propel us forward on your mission. But the thing that's interesting is just a couple of chapters from here in, in Matthew chapter 9. You might remember this verse if you've been around the church for a little while, but it says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
And then Jesus says, well, pray. Pray for the laborers to go out into the harvest. And church, that's what I'm inviting you to do. The harvest is plentiful all around us and all around the world. So pray, God, would you raise up laborers who would work for you? But the humor behind that, and I do think it's humorous, is that happens in Matthew chapter 9. And in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is like, hey, you guys just prayed that people would launch out. Um, I want you guys to do that. And he looks at him and he says, I want you guys to go and to share the gospel with people. So literally they pray in chapter 9 and in chapter 10, they're the, the solution to their prayer. They're the answer to it. We're the answer to this prayer. God, please use us to be on mission for you that your kingdom would come, your will would be done. And let's also pray that God would provide for us. Provide for us in your mission, God. That's how I'm praying this. God, we need your provision. We cannot do it apart from you. And Jesus in this passage talks about provision in kind of two different ways, temporal and eternal. In verse 11, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And this is interesting. First of all, because this is a communal prayer. This is about a community. Because we hear this prayer and we're like, I've never prayed that in my life. You know why? Because we have enough food in our pantries as Americans that if the world ended tomorrow, we could stay chubby for the next six months. We just do. In our pantry, we do. And so we don't think about this, well, God, I really need daily bread. I've got, plenty, I've got my monthly bread. I've got my six-month bread here in, in the closet, in the pantry. But look, it says give us, us, this day our daily bread. You might not feel like you have a need, but when is the last time that you've prayed for someone else in need? When is the last time you looked at somebody in your small group or even in the worship center today and prayed, God, provide for them. Provide for them. And you might think, well, I don't know anybody that's starving or somebody that needs food. It doesn't necessarily have to be that. God, would you provide for them the emotional strength that they need? Would you provide for them the faith that they need to trust you and to walk with you? When's the last time you've looked at somebody in this room and you've prayed for them? God, would you provide for them? Give us this day our daily bread. It's not just about you as an individual or me as an individual. It's about us as a community. God, would you provide for us? And as God provides for us the, the, the strength that we need, the, the talents that we need to serve God, the finances that we need to be generous to God, God, would you provide for us the good stewardship to follow you in these things? God, would you provide all that we need? Lord, we need you. So yes, he talks about the temporal needs that we have, but then he talks about the eternal needs. And he says, God, forgive us our debts. And this is how you know that this is a model prayer and not the prayer of the Lord, right? In the sense that Jesus never needed to be forgiven of sins. He never did. But he knew our hearts and our lives. And he knew that we needed to ask forgiveness of our sins, our debts. And so it says here that we should do that. And this is our eternal need. We need to be forgiven of our sins. And when we rest in the truth that we are forgiven by Jesus Christ, it allows us to walk in confidence in sharing the gospel and living on mission for him. Some of us, the very reason why we're not sharing the gospel with people, it's because of what we did last night. 
There's some of you probably that are watching online today, and the reason you're not in this room today is because of what you did last night. You feel guilt and you feel shame instead of feeling the forgiveness of God. He says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all of your sins. Not some of it, not a little bit of it, all of it. All of your sins. And so Jesus, when he prays this prayer, he's, he's reminding us, when you pray and ask for forgiveness, God forgives and allows us to move forward in confidence, depending on him. You see, your struggle might be that, God, you can provide my daily needs, but my sins are way too high for you to care for my eternal needs. Some of you feel that way today. You've got this great mound of sin in your life. But Jesus walked up the mountain of Calvary and died for those sins. And you need to believe and trust in Christ that he will forgive you of your sins if you will confess him. And some of you think on the opposite side of that spectrum, okay, God, I believe you can forgive me of my sins and you'll provide all the eternal needs that I have. But temporal needs, that's on me. I've got to figure out how to do everything in my life. And so you have all this stress and this anxiety because you're just exhausting yourself, trusting in your own ability. Which is why just a few verses later in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells you, don't worry. Why? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. All of these things will be added to you. So stop stressing and stop worrying about all of these things and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And he will provide all that you need for your life and his mission. Which, let's be honest, the two should not be divorced. They're one and the same. We live life on mission. He provides for both of those. And so we seek him. His glory is ultimately for our good. So God, please propel us forward on mission for you. Provide for us as we seek your mission. And also, Lord, please protect us as we go on mission for you. We see this in verse 13. Jesus says, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We should not be shocked in the least when we are tempted. It's everywhere, right? I mean, it's on our phones, it's on our TVs, it's in our culture, it's in our friends group. Heck, if, if we went to a cabin in the woods far away from everybody else but just ourselves. We have enough iniquity in our own hearts to ruin our lives in sin. We do. We can't escape it externally. It's internally. There's a, there's a sin issue in our hearts that we need Christ to rescue us from. And so Jesus says there's temptations everywhere. Pray against them. Pray against them. And let me tell you what these temptations can look like for your life. They start as questions. Questions like this, God, why in the world do I have a boss like this? Why is my spouse acting like this? Why am I in this season of my life that I'm in right now? And when we ask questions like those, there's a path before us. It's a fork in the road. We can choose to avoid temptation and resist or we can choose to sin. These little 
irritating questions that we ask are opportunities for us to glorify God and hallow his name. So yeah, you can choose to complain. You can choose to, to worry. You can choose to abandon. But when you do that, you're choosing the path of sin and darkness. It's a path that steals and kills and destroys your life. It does. I promise you it does. And what I love about this passage is that Jesus is teaching us in this moment Yes, there's temptation, and yes, there is evil, but we should pray against it. This is a, a, a proactive prayer. This is a prayer of, of offense. We always, we're not always, a lot of times we pray on defense, where it's like, okay, we've already sinned, we've given in, so God, now we're coming back to you, please forgive us of our sins. And so we're always praying in, in defense. Jesus is like, no, pray in offense. May we not give in to temptation. Deliver us from evil. Protect us, God. Do that offensively. Don't wait until something's already happened and bad things have happened. Like, okay, now I'm going to pray. Pray in both. But most certainly pray beforehand. Some of us have never once prayed for an opportunity to share the gospel. And we sit here and we're like, why have I not had the opportunity to share the gospel? We're not praying offensively. Some of us have sat here and we're like, why in the world has... This bad thing happened in my life. Why has this happened in my marriage or with my kids? And it's because we've never once prayed in offense. We've always prayed in response. And Jesus is telling us right now, yes, temptation is there. Yes, evil is there. 